Hi, this is Stacy the Baby Maker Roberts. I have put together more than a decade of my clinical experience into developing the first online mentoring program that deals with the ever-growing area of natural fertility. My Baby Maker Network Mentoring Program is an online interactive program where you will learn how to address all aspects of fertility issues. If you are ready to be a part of an atmosphere that helps you build your practice while helping couples build their family, I look forward to getting to know you in the Baby Maker Mentoring Program. Please go to bioceuticals.com.au and click on the Education tab for more information and to register. Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. And joining me in the studio today is Belinda Reynolds, who's a dietitian with over 15 years' experience in the integrative medicine industry. She's an acclaimed senior educator with Bioceuticals, and she regularly presents to audiences throughout Australia and New Zealand, and is known for her practical and very easy style, bringing complex biochemical processes into an easily digestible format with practical clinical applications. And I welcome you back to FX Medicine, Bill. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Now, today we're going to be talking about the importance of seeding a healthy microbiota into children, into infants, mm-hmm. neonates. But there's so many issues surrounding that, um, including, I mean, gosh, even the health of the mother, the, the diet of the mother. So I think let's start off. What happens, what's the general process of how good bacteria infect an infant's gut? So that's an interesting question actually because there's, there, but there's been some research that has come out in very recent years which has turned our previous understanding of the initial inoculation of the infant gut uh, on its head. So in the past we always believed or understood that the first exposure to bacteria did occur uh, during the journey through the birth canal Mm. and uh, the infant was then primarily colonised by bacteria it was exposed to uh, in the birth canal. Uh, during birth, what we've more recently come to understand is that there's an actual pathway of bacterial translocation whereby uh, bacteria are taken from the mother's gut uh, and uh, delivered into the uterine environment to then be uh, moved on into the infant or the fetal, I should say, gut. And research has shown that the presence of those beneficial microorganisms that have been translocated into that fetal gut actually provide beneficial influences on the maturation of that fetal immune system. And there's been measurable changes that they've identified. Uh, one of the first ways that they found this was that there was bacteria and also did bacterial DNA signatures present in the placenta, the amniotic fluid, and also the meconium. And they went on to take blood smears from pregnant women and they identified the presence of the bacteria and DNA signatures there. It's believed that during pregnancy there's an upregulation of this process of bacterial translocation that occurs as a result of different hormonal changes and then these bacteria within 
blood monocytes are delivered to the uterine environment and directed by a number of different chemicals that are influenced by pregnancy hormones. Uh, further to that, uh, there's also a translocation of bacteria from the maternal gut to the breast tissue, and that's how it's believed that the breast milk then contains a broad range of different bacterial species, and that can be anything from lactobacilli to other potentially pathogenic microorganisms, such as uh, staphylococci species. Uh, and then mastitis is believed to develop when there is an imbalance there at mm. the breast um, due to an insufficient amount of the beneficial microorganisms that help keep those pathogens at bay. So what we have then, first of all, is what's in the mother's gut is influencing what will then be colonising the fetal gut, uh, and then that is having a an influence on the maturation of the fetal immune system. We then have the child uh, moving through the birth canal during labour, and then that is further contributing to the colonisation of that, the infant gut. Then you have breastfeeding forming another avenue through which uh, there is that exposure to a variety of different microorganisms. You also, of course, have the skin-to-skin -skin time, which mm. is essential just after birth, um, not only for maintaining that uh, initial connection between the mother and the child, but also for a, a transfer of, of microorganisms. Uh, and then, of course, there's a huge number of other factors down the track which will um, begin or uh, assist in further developing that colonisation. So a couple of things you mentioned there, and I think one is it just seems so critical that the maternal diet is healthy. And I remember reading a paper that if the maternal diet was poor, then that actually had uh, an effect on the microbiota of the infant mm -hmm. later on in life. The other thing that you brought up there was contact time. And there's a, a, a paper that I read on what's called seeding. So babies born of caesarean section, C-section, and they're basically swabbed with the vaginal secretions from the mother. But I have questions on that regarding the contact time because a normal birth does not occur over seconds and nor is that pressure light. Mm -hmm. And so the, when we're talking about smothering the baby in the vaginal secretions, it's really like mushing it into the skin. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure that baby yeah. goes through to come out. Um, and I just think that's a critical factor. And sorry to go on, but... The next point was, I remember reading another paper about microbial clouds mm. and, again, the contact time with the mother's skin and that bonding process. Um, indeed, feeding process will have an influence on the, on the bacteria that the baby gets in the gut. So to go back to the first one, can you comment on how important it is for a good, healthy maternal diet and what effect that has? Sure. So uh, you're absolutely right. The maternal diet will have a profound influence on fetal development simply due to the nutritional yeah. content yeah. I mean, of, we know of the, the diet. The issue and with iodine and yes. iron. And... Yeah. So we, we know that that plays a, a crucial role in supporting healthy growth and development of the fetus, but importantly too, supporting the health of the mother. Mm. Uh, I mean, during pregnancy and during lactation, it, it is believed that the body will consider the growing fetus and uh, the, the breast milk as a priority for receiving nutrition. And so if the mother is not consuming sufficient nutrition, uh, she is going to be the one who ends up depleted uh, because the, the fetus will be 
basically drawing the nutrition out of her bones, mm. from her brain, uh, and that can contribute to a lot of complications for the mother, and that um, really doesn't help the fetus down the the, or the offspring yeah, down the track right. if the mother's suffering. And we'll talk about that in another podcast that you and I are going to do on the influence or the, the emotional impact of um, birth and, and um, child rearing on, on women. Yes, we yeah. will. It's it's a huge, huge topic. And Massive. Um, what I'm passionate about. So, um, but yes, moving back to the, the influence of the maternal diet on the uh, infant uh, microbiome, the the consumption of prebiotic fibres is so essential for ensuring that the microbes in the maternal gut are being fed and they're able to remain and, and flourish in the gut. The production of the short-chain fatty acids um, through the process of the fermentation of those fibres by the, uh, the bacteria um, provide such a broad range of benefits for the maternal gut and then also for her immune system and for a variety of other factors. Uh, but then further to that, as we've mentioned, the, the balance of good bacteria in the maternal gut can have an influence on what is available to be delivered to the, the fetus uh, for assisting in that process of immune maturation. And then also um, research has shown there was a uh, a number of studies done at the University of Madrid mm -hmm. where they did identify that the balance of bacteria in the mother's gut uh, was very closely related to the balance of bacteria that was detected in the breast milk. So if there was a if there was dysbiosis present in the gut, there was a greater risk of dysbiosis at the breast right. and in the breast milk, which could uh, ultimately influence what then is uh, colonising the infant gut, but then also contributes to mastitis risk. So I was just actually thinking about the causes, which, you know, are medically, quote unquote, unknown. But if you look at these associations, you can draw links with, well, duh, <laughs> yep. if you haven't got a healthy gut, you're going to have problems with the rest of the microbiota in mm -hmm. other sites. Yes. Um, as in on the skin, nipples, even mouth, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um so when when the University of Madrid researchers did this research, did they actually link species? Like did they find staphylococci in abundance in the gut and associating that directly with staphylococci in the, um, in the nipple? So that they were drawing associations. And so initially what they did was that they um, had identified the presence of bacteria in the milk mm. and there was the previous understanding that what was in the milk was simply uh, coming from contamination from the child's mouth or from that skin around the nipple on the, and the areola. Uh, and so what they did was they took a sample of the milk and they looked at the uh, the bacterial profile and then they also took swabs of uh, around the, the nipple and areola at the skin on the breast to see if there was any correlation between yep. the different types of bacteria that were there and the numbers. And they also took swabs from the infant's mouth. Yep. And they found that there was really no clear correlation between no what was there. Mm. Um, but they then took samples of um, stool, stool samples from the mother, and they found that the balance of bacteria that was there was very similar in terms of lactobacilli counts and staphylococcus um, Right counts. And they did find that there was higher numbers of staphylococci. Yep. Um, staphylococcus epidermidis and staphylococcus aureus, aureus. seem to be the two key culprits yep. which they identified. Yep. Um, but interestingly, more recently, they're starting to find that candida can be a mm. common culprit in um, particularly recurrent and 
persistent mastitis. Uh, and then what they also found too was that there was high levels of lactobacilli counts in those women who were healthy as opposed to those uh, who developed a mastitis infection. And what you're talking about there is the, the CASEL study, which mm-hmm. was done by Lisa and me and her group at uh, La Trobe University. Some extremely good uh, research which showed the, the different species of, of pathogens um, causing mastitis. So um, what then do we do? It's a good question because <laughs> uh, I think the issue is that generally the, the standard therapy for mastitis infections is uh, antibiotics. And, of course, if it's a candida infection, antibiotics could potentially even worsen that infection, which is one reason why we may have the development of these recurrent and chronic um, mastitis infections, the development of abscesses, hospitalisation, and then ceasing of breastfeeding uh, because of all the complications. Um, But what's also emerging is, of course, antibiotic resistance, where there's a lot of staph species that are now resistant to the antibiotics that are being prescribed. Uh, It's not to say that antibiotics aren't worth trying, but I think that Probiotics can certainly uh, have potential to assist in um, both prevention and the treatment or prevention of recurrence of mastitis infections. Uh, There has been um, some small studies done where they have shown that the use of a probiotic supplement um, can improve the colonisation of the good bacteria at the breast and then ultimately uh, address or prevent a mastitis infection. So we know that the bacteria are able to produce those short-chain fatty acids, maintain that um, low pH mm. uh, or that acidic environment, yep. which is less conducive to the pathogen overgrowth. Uh, the bacteria also produce a variety of antimicrobial substances as well and also stimulate the host immune system too to assist in improving the host immune system's ability to fight off any pathogenic Uh, infection. But I think it's important to note as well that it's not just microbial balance that's having an important influence on immune function. Uh, We know that vitamin D deficiencies can significantly compromise healthy immune function, particularly when it comes to those uh, mucosal-related infections. Uh, Vitamin D is essential for the release of catholicidin, which is an antimicrobial peptide released in response to an infection or trauma at at the skin or at a mucosal surface. So if an individual is depleted of that vitamin D, they can be at greater risk of those recurrent infections. So I think it's important we consider vitamin D status as well and address that if there is a deficiency. And we need to consider, of course, too, all of the other nutrients mm. really important for the health of our immune system. And I've even seen some interesting papers suggesting that selenium status and vitamin D status can actually have an influence on what colonises the gut Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So um, our nutritional status can influence what is ultimately colonising the gut and then the presence of inflammation, so the mm. activation of the inflammasomes, which stimulate a whole cascade of inflammatory issues, that can impact the balance of bacteria too. So it's a, a broad area and I think we can't say that probiotics are the only answer, but they're definitely a very oh, interesting oh, one. Yeah, and definitely part of the answer. I think what you say is true. Um, I was recently talking to Mike Ash, and he was explaining how critical it is to have adequate amounts of retinoic acid mm-hmm. um, getting down into the gut to help uh, make a, a, an adequate and, and 
promote the production of secretory IgA and also to help with immune modulation, i.e. dampening down that inflammasome activation. Mm. Um, so yep. there's, that, there's that yin and yang with vitamin A and vitamin D, you know, the sort of, um, what was it, the, the retinol X receptor, Rory, raw gamma T, and um, Fox, Fox PT. Right. Yeah, mm. so there's this yin and yang association with how vitamin A and vitamin D seem to act in concert to dampen. Now, it, it's certainly more elegant than that. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly we shouldn't just be giving two vitamins and thinking that that's going to cure all of the uh, immune programming issues of infants. But I think the, the major issue here is that it's critical that the mother gets a good well-balanced diet yes. because what's interesting to me is that it's not just these vitamins and probiotics that's coming through in the breast milk to the mm -hmm. baby, is it? No, that's right. And the the breast milk uh, also contains quite a substantial amount of prebiotic type substances. So uh, the oligosaccharides that are present in the breast milk, such as galacto-oligosaccharides, uh, are actually the third most abundant component of human milk after lactose and, and lipids. So they're a, a crucial part of the development of the a healthy immune system. So what they're doing is helping to feed all of the good bacteria or the potentially beneficial bacteria that are present in the gut uh, so that they can flourish and produce all of the, the benefits that we know they're capable of. And I think that's where there is that increased risk of certain immune-related conditions and other concerns with formula-fed infants mm, is mm. that uh, the formula that they produce these... Um, in recent times are very good in terms of their nutritional profile uh, and, of course, so useful in those situations where women are unable to breastfeed or, for what, whatever reason, decide not to. Mm. Um, but what they do seem to be missing is sufficient amounts of these prebiotics uh, that are so essential for uh, establishing a good colony and, of uh, bacteria. And I think we'll, we'll cover the pressures that women are under I think the pressure is to breastfeed. And regardless of that being the natural thing, there are a subset of, of women who can't or choose not to, whatever, and they're under such venom. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll cover that in another podcast where we talk about the emotional aspects that affect um, pregnant women and young mm -hmm. mothers, new mothers. Um, talking about the nutrition in the formulas, hey, Breast is best. Breast is what nature provided. Yes. Absolutely. Um, given that the diet of the mother is good, there I go again. Um, but certainly there's things that we can do when, hey, we don't live in a perfect world. Certainly there's things that we might be able to do to say, okay, look, y you might not have be able to breastfeed or choose not to, whatever. So your formula feeding, how can we make that as, as good as possible for that infant so that they have the best catch-up? to breastfeeding? So, I mean, there is some interesting research around this area and looking at uh, different types of supplements and uh, additions to formula, which can help to further develop the, uh, the infant immune system to reduce the risk of allergies and uh, suppressed immune function that can be associated with formula feeding. Uh, so one of those things is a, a balance of or a combination of prebiotics. So a Goss and Foss combination in a, in a nine to one ratio has mm. been uh, 
investigated in a number of different studies. And uh, one of the studies which they uh, conducted compared the microbiota or, or the bacteria in the stool of breastfed infants to a formula-fed infant and then again to an infant that was fed formula with the addition of the that GOS and FOS, or yeah. the galacto-oligosaccharides and fructo-oligosaccharides. Yep. And what they found was that the breastfed infant had much higher levels of bifidobacterium and lactobacilli mm-hmm. uh, when compared to the formula-fed yep. infant. However, when they'd added the prebiotic combination into the formula-fed um, infant's diet, uh, what they found was a level of bifidogenic microorganisms that was very similar to that of the breastfed infant. So it was helping to establish a a bacterial balance, which was very similar to a a breastfed child, which certainly has the potential, yeah, to be uh, more beneficial um, than the formula on its own. Uh, Further to that, some other research which has been done looking at the the benefits provided by GOS and FOS for infants. Some of it's been done on formula-fed infants. Some of it's been done on breastfed infants, so Mm -hmm. even further boosting the benefit that can come from from breast milk. Um, But they've... Uh, identified that it has the potential to reduce the risk of atopy. Uh, It has the potential to boost secretory IgA production to improve mucosal immunity, reducing gastroenteritis risk, uh, and also potentially reducing respiratory infections as well. Uh, Again, vitamin D is really important for a number of those functions, Mm. as is vitamin A and a variety of other things. So definitely not the only answer, but certainly something that should be considered, I think. Uh, There's also uh, research that was done on uh, very low birth weight infants who were at risk of necrotizing enterocolitis. And these infants were exclusively breastfed, but they added prebiotics uh, into what they were um, being fed. And they did find that the addition of those prebiotics was able to reduce the risk of that necrotizing enterocolitis or NEC. And that's quite significant as well, is that not only is it assisting in uh, boosting the, the colonization of that beneficial uh, bacteria in the, the gut of a, and a formula-fed infant, but it has the potential to assist a breastfed infant as well. Because I think realistically, most women don't have the greatest balance in her gut mm. and therefore what is in her breast milk isn't necessarily optimum either. So uh, I think anything that we can... Um, use is definitely worth considering, uh, particularly for those at-risk infants. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a salient point that in Australia we have, I think it's 15 um, species of bacteria, probiotic bacteria that we're allowed to choose from, mm. whereas there, there are hundreds. Um, yeah. You know, Mark Donahoe says thousands, um, most of which we can't grow. Mm. Um, of probiotic bacteria, fungi, even viruses living in our guts and indeed on our skin, um, that are normal inhabitants keeping us in an equilibrium. And that to suggest that one, two or th- even three or, you know, um, a few of these species could be the hero for you, for your health, is not just arrogant, but really short-sighted. And so we should be really concentrating on our diet and to aid in these sorts of um, manipulation, if you like, of good bacteria, that we should be looking at these substrates that bacteria live off Mm -hmm. and not us choosing, but our body choosing those bacteria then to 
to choose its own equilibrium. I think that's so critical. Mm, but along great. that lines comes the nutrition, not just to say, I want you to choose that bacteria, but for the host to then have a good immune system to then help the balance of that bacteria. So it's all of this sort of interplay. It's There's yes. no magic answer. No. And, and I, I just want people to get the right picture that it's not selecting a bacteria. It's providing the, the garden so that your body can choose its own equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's such a critical message that we need to get across. None of this magic hero species. I don't believe in this sort of stuff. No, but that, that's right. Not every bacterial species or strain is suitable for commercial production either. So we really need to be providing those fibres that stimulate all of the different um, potentially beneficial microorganisms that would naturally inhabit our gut. And it's interesting too, because when you look at the uh, the use of antibiotics, which we know to wipe out or at least reduce the numbers of a lot of uh, beneficial microorganisms, uh, the use of those antibiotics has been shown to significantly increase the risk of certain uh, ailments. Mm-hmm. For example, um, they've identified a a relationship between antibiotic use during pregnancy and the risk of asthma in yep. the offspring. There's a dose-dependent relationship there. So the greater the use of antibiotics, the greater the risk of asthma and um, allergic sensitization in in the offspring and that those antibiotics haven't just killed off one specific no, strain no, that's you need right. to be re-establishing all, everything yeah. um, that's there which that's is right. where the prebiotics really do and the the great diet really does come am, in. I, am I right in in I, I say the word loosely recalling with my brain um, but that uh, there was a paper saying that if you take one course of antibiotics your gut microbiota um, is in aberrance for mm. oh gosh I hope that's a word um, is aberrant for about a year that it takes about a year to recover and that even if you have subsequent courses of antibiotics then it just lengthens that amount of time that your microbiota has to recover. And so it's, again, critical that you remain on a high plant-based diet here to help the good bacteria find an equilibrium again, that's as right. well as seeding with good bacteria, if you wish, yes. you know. Yeah, so. and, and that's the thing. There is fantastic research yeah. around yeah, a sure. lot of uh, probiotic strains and species, and uh, they're absolutely beneficial, and there's, there's no doubt that there's been some great research which has shown that, uh, for example, a, a combination of bacteria in the final trimester of pregnancy and then for the first six months of the child's life um, was able to uh, cut the risk of allergic sensitization in, in half. Mm. Uh, that was the, the Lab 4B um, blend from yeah. uh, from Nigel Plummer. Yep. Uh, but uh, so there's some fantastic research, and I think it definitely need to be paid attention to and we should be considering those things. But um, what we're more saying is that it's not the be-all and end-all. Well, it's we not your bacteria. To, yes. e- even when these quote these bacteria quote-unquote colonise, they don't colonise for the rest of your or its life. They remain there for, you know, a few weeks, a couple of months at best, and we and therefore we have to keep taking them. If we want to reset our own stuff, we need to be feeding it that's the right, right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a critical answer that both Mike Ash, Mark Donahoe, they get across really, really clearly, mm-hmm. you know, be- beautiful, eloquent uh, eloquent uh, points that Mike Ash gets across. Yes. Okay, so so Belinda, in wrapping up, what are the critical steps for practitioners to be able to ta- have take-home points that they can introduce into their practice? What th- sort of things should they be paying, paying heed to? 
So I think, first of all, the, the point that you mentioned where the maternal diet is it's so important and the health of that is vital. So a good fibre-rich, plant-rich diet is the first and most important step to maintaining a healthy microbiome within the mother and therefore ultimately in the child. Uh, secondly, uh, probiotics can be used for assisting in reducing the risk of certain immune-related uh, conditions. It's useful for them to be used during pregnancy and then in the first months uh, of the child's life or even for the first year. 